Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Jack T., Brent S., and David V. Two new guests are on the show today. Andreas Becker and Peter Kra have joined us. Andreas and Peter are founders, managing directors, and shareholders of German Mining Networks, a private natural resource focused fund that invests and speculates on primarily Canadian and Australian listed juniors. You can learn more about the group via their website, german-mining.com. Andreas, Peter, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having us. Pleasure being here. Well, let's kick it off here, guys, with maybe just getting each of your backgrounds to introduce the audience. Uh, you're probably new to most of our audience. Andreas, let's start with you. Yeah, both of us are coming from the finance world. Um, we met met Peter at the university, and then um, we studied finance, worked briefly in the financial industry at uh, major, major banks, but then uh, soon realized that we wanted to move something and want to be more entrepreneurial. And uh, that's when we started German Mining Networks in uh, in 2012. And um, yeah, it all started with the uh, with a conference in in London organized by uh, Garda, uh, where we met uh, people like Ian Gordon, Eric Sprott, and um, yeah, they they got us going. And um, then we flew over to Canada, visited a gold mine, took our first client to uh, to uh, to Switzerland, and. Um, yeah, build a business by bringing Canadian mining companies over to Europe, arranging private placements, getting investors involved, and uh, making ourselves and uh, investors money. And uh, yeah, it has been a fun, fun ride, and um, the the best is yet to come. We are really entering a great uh, bull market now, and um, looking forward to the to the next years now. Yeah, that's interesting timing on when you guys got together here and started this up, and what you guys have experienced over the last uh, call it ten years at this point, um, Peter. When did you guys meet and talk about your background a little bit as well, come together here as far as the objective of the company? Yeah, in hindsight, it's, it, it looks like it's meant to be. As Andrea said, met, met in university, always kept in very close contact and already back then shared the same vision on investing and yeah, basically making money. And then the junior sector seemed the perfect vehicle to yeah, strike it real rich in a short amount of time. But, um, what really got us going was the site visit in, in British Columbia, being on site, just couldn't get away from this beautiful sector. And despite growing it or building the company in a, in a tough market, um, already generated some profits with uh, certain turnaround stories in the junior producer space. And uh, yeah, that really set the fire apart that didn't, didn't let us go until today. Talk about that heat, though. You guys probably felt pretty good, as did I, from 2012 through 2015. How did you guys manage that time frame? I'm sure there were some moments that you guys didn't feel very good in the stomach. Maybe just talk about that and how you guys, you know, really learned coming out of that time period, as did I. One thing we probably did different from right at the beginning, for us, it was always, always a, a people's business. I mean, a lot of people talk about the mining sector being a people's business, but we followed up on that and from day one, acted and traded in a heavily concentrated matter. So we never had more than three stocks in our portfolio. 
And um, we only went in, into these heavy concentrated stocks after we've met the people who are running the companies personally. And then, yeah, got just always had a very good gut and belly feeling after sitting down with CEOs and geologists. And that, yeah, that made us profits even in a down market. During that time frame, talk about where you guys focused in this market as far as exploration type plays, maybe development type plays that took place during that time. It was a tough capital environment. You guys dialed into just a few companies, but what was the focus there? Was it just going through and finding those companies that would still have some type of value, a bear market like we got to experience? What was the uh, the focus point? Yeah, when we did our first investment, 2014, we, <laughs> we were looking at the, a lot of these, uh, we, we call them fallen angels, you know, the, the companies that have went down 80 90 percent and to back back in the time that was mostly the producers you know the the allied nevadas the sand gold the cloud resources the kirkland lakes lakeshore golds and um, as peter said it's it's all about the people so we met with these companies in in toronto at pdic i remember when we were sitting down with them and then the company that um yeah we made the investment in was uh, Claude Resources. We just felt very comfortable with uh, with Brian Skanderbeck and Mike Lepage. They were a young team, and they were presenting us this plan how they were turning turning this mine around. And uh, we got in at uh, at twenty cents. The stock had fallen from from two dollars. And um, then over the next uh, two years, it has been a fantastic ride um, because they did turn it around operationally. Then the brokers came back writing coverage, institutions came back, and ultimately they were taken over by SSR Mining at, uh, at $2. And um, so this these has been our focus back then, 2014 to 2016, the, the fallen angels, the turnaround stories, the producers. And um, I think that has been a wise strategy back then because exploration and development stories continued to go down until probably 2016 or end of 2015, when we finally hit the bottom and uh, we got the first uh, recovery from, from January to, uh, to August 2016. Interesting story there with Claude Resources. I remember that name, didn't uh, follow it too much at that time. If I recall correctly, I think Brian's over at GFG Resources, or at least that's one of his focuses here. That's correct, um, yes. Well, let's talk more specifically about the uh, the fund in a moment, but what are your guys' thoughts on the natural resource markets at this point, and what areas do each of you really like over the next couple of years? Yeah, uh, we like the uh, gold and silver sector. That's that's really our focus, the co these two commodities, um, because ultimately um, we got into the sector because we think these, these two commodities represent money and um, provide stability to the uh, to the to the system and then if you can get involved in the companies you always have leverage so that's that's our our passion gold and silver and um, from the company company categories we really still like the producers um, because it's very easy to value you can do a simple back of the envelope calculation where you look at okay current metals price current production or production in in the future and then apply a multiple on it and get get to the company value so this is our focus uh, right now we we like a company called um aya aya silver um there's a this is another turnaround play being taken over last year by new completely new management 100 uh, percent silver the only 100 percent silver focused company on the on the tsx 
And um, yeah, since since we got involved here earlier in the year, they they already doubled from three dollars to now seven dollars. Um, they're expanding production, and um, the, the the goal is to uh, to get over the billion dollar market cap. The team is is top notch. It's the former Semaphore team around uh, Benoit Benoit Lasalle, and um, Great management ownership and board management. They own 50%. No debt. Um, all all the criterias we we want to see and where we had great experience with the first success we had with Claude. We really see this as a as a copy paste now with with this with the silver play. And in the gold space, um, there's another company we like. This is in the development space and it's called uh, Artemis Gold, run by Stephen Dean. Uh, we had the opportunity to uh, present Stephen with his uh, previous company, Atlantic Gold, in Switzerland in 2015, when they were just starting out at uh, 25 cents, and then uh, yeah, followed followed the story, got, were, were involved, and it yeah, were ultimately taken over by San Barbara for $2.90. So this has mm-hmm. been a fantastic ride, and the team around Stephen is 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 just uh, superb. Their execution is is, is top notch in the industry. They're getting things done on time on budget and that's what the market is rewarding also with their with their current story yeah our team is um, they, they ipo'd at the dollar they're currently trading at six and there's more to come highly leveraged for the go for future gold price moves so these are our two uh, two favorite uh, holdings right now let me add to to your european um listeners andrew and i know you're going to ask about how we became aware of IR gold interesting fact here on the board level, there is the former um, CEO of uh, German DAX-listed BASF involved, and also another uh, French billionaire from the, the biotech space, and that really got us very interested in in IA in the very first place, wondering how is it possible that a, a German CEO that had nothing to do with mining is all of a sudden involved here on a board level, and then we we took a closer look and found that is IA is run by Benoit and took it from there. Talk about each of those for a moment, uh, Artemis as well. When did you guys get involved with each of those? Talk about your entry there, and because you guys generally look for entries that are certainly lower level, even in some cases, companies that are turnarounds that have been beaten up pretty badly. Just talk about your entries in both of those companies. Well, in the in the case of, of Artemis, as Andreas said, um, it was basically a follow-on from Atlantic. So we just kept in kept in touch with uh, Stephen, which is generally a good strategy to keep in touch with people that you made money with prior. And then we were informed of of Artemis being his next company, and then we basically got involved on um, with the IPO. So from day one, and uh, the company only had a stake in Velocity VLC with their Bulgarian assets. And a lot of people were wondering, okay, what is happening? What is the plan with the company? But we 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 had a lot of faith in Steven and we knew he's gonna buy an asset that is fitting perfect into the current market environment. And he did. And then all of a sudden the stock ran from from a dollar something to five, six, almost seven. So that was that was a great head start. But I think there is uh, still a lot of value left on the table for Artemis. Um, they're doing a great job, as Andreas said, hitting milestones, always on time, always on budget. So we think it's it's the perfect stock to own as a as a core holding in your portfolio if you want to profit from a rising gold market, but also from developments that are happening on a company level. Yeah, I I we got in on the market this year, in uh, in February, when the uh, stock was uh, presented to us from uh, one of the board members, Elena Elena Clarici, and um, 
this was around three dollars they had the management had taken over last year in in april when it was trading at one um so that was the first move and now they really got going they accelerated lots of progress um even the major canadian ones nbf were taking on coverage and um they're also hitting their targets to expand production first to double it and then double it again expanding the resource having a trade program ongoing and this is always what the market likes um whatever companies do if the management delivers on what what they promise and that's why they had this fantastic performance here since since earlier in the year despite a lot of miners going sidewards or downwards since since last year august when we hit the highs so this has been a great outperformance and it just speaks for the uh, the potential but also the execution of, of of this team again and um yeah we in both cases as, as peter said we see strong upside potential so double digit prices for both stocks here in in the year uh, in this next move here which we think is already ongoing then it all depends on where gold and silver go. But um, yeah, the, the best best part is, is still to come with these with these companies. Follow Artemis a little bit here, and I've seen uh, their financing come out here, and it seems like they're pretty fast tracked here to get things mm. yep. moving. And looks like it'll turn out to be something that's going to probably catch some pretty good interest. And uh, it seems to be a pretty quick rinse and repeat strategy there that uh, has worked out really well. So appreciate you guys sharing that. And, you know, have you guys done any work on the copper space, uh, any work on the uranium sector? And if so, what do you guys think of copper and uranium and how do these maybe fit in or maybe they don't? Yeah, we largely focus, like I said, we focus on, on gold and silver. Um, that's what we have done. That's what we are doing. And really our, our focus. Um, I think what, what is interesting, how we run our investment is um, we have core holdings. Yeah which is the Artemis and Aya, where you have the leverage to the metals prices. And then you get also the blue sky potential with these exploration companies. And um, here we like gold and silver exploration companies. So recently got involved into a, another silver exploration company being tier one silver run by Ivan Bebek, another great CEO. And um, this one is going to be uh, listed here in, in May. And um, that's where we get you know, the five tenfold increases by exploration success instead of the production expansion. So our focus is really gold and silver. We do know there are the commodities like you mentioned uranium and copper. Uh, we don't have big insights into that um, because we're not, not so interested. Focus is really gold and silver. And um, that's where we see the, the, the strongest upside. That's, that's why we focus on these uh, commodities and then also on the, uh, on the juniors in, this, in these two commodities. You guys have mentioned some names uh, as far as management members, and I know you could say management team really is the king first and foremost, and I share that view as well. What mm. management teams, you guys have mentioned a few, but are there some other management teams that you think the audience should pay attention to and follow? Yeah. Yeah, as a, as a general rule, I mean, there's always this talk in town being being called you have to have skin in the game, but what it really means is, or what we always do is, you have to really take a closer look of A, how much shares is management and board level owning, and also did they actually pay with hard earned cash out of their own pocket for it? That's um, the key for us. And then also, if they had previous successes, we always take a very close look of, were they a significant part of that value creation process before, or were they just, just part of, of the team maybe, but didn't really contribute significantly. 
Yeah, that's right. I, I agree. And I think to point that out is, is the actual pain for the shares. Um, you know, we, we also see a lot of companies out there where the, the management team didn't pay for the shares and they have a huge amount. So it's, it's misleading in that regard. So you got to make sure that you go back and check and make sure that it's fully paid. And at what price did they pay? Any other names do you guys want to share as far as management teams go? Any other stars that you guys see that's upcoming or stars that you guys continue to like? Uh, any other names you'd like to share there on the management front? Um, definitely. Yeah, definitely Ivan. Like, like I said, he's a younger guy in his in his 40s um, on the X-ray. Like this is this is in, in addition to, to what we said before, they should have previous successes. So Ivan had two previous successes in exploration. He's now doing it a third time. Steven had previous successes in development to production with Artemis and even before with other Australian companies. Mm -hmm. Same with Benoit, with Aya. So this is, this is very important. Yeah. Another name we like uh, currently not have, having any investments with uh, companies he's running, but still a great name to follow is uh, Paul Matisek. He used to be involved with Gold X mining for a little bit in the last few months, but um, GLDX is the ticker here. That's another great name to follow. And then once again, Stephen, we are invested. Benoit, we are invested as well. These are these are the four, some four household names when it comes to quality people on the management side. I appreciate you guys sharing that and cover your extreme concentration approach just a little bit more. I think that's a little bit more unique and not mm -hmm. commonly used by a lot of investors out there. Uh, so talk about the concentration mm -hmm. approach and then your guys' views on, you know, the thought process that higher returns require more risk or really mm -hmm. if you've done the work, it's actually less risk. But just talk about those two items. Against common common belief or what, what universities and finance academics tell you to, to diversify, but actually we think it is admitting that you don't know really well. And uh, we experienced ourselves by really concentrating on few holdings, like Peter said, during times only had one or two holdings to think intensely about, okay, is this a company, is this a management team I trust my complete money and that they're going to execute it. And um, by doing this, we didn't experience these big drawdowns like a lot of investors had over the last six, seven years from 2013 to 2019. And instead had fantastic returns, which yeah, even blew, blew our mind by over 50% annually. Peter, what's your as, thoughts on that? As Andrea said, it forces you A, to think really, really hard. And if you are still feeling comfortable and if you can still feel sleep well by being heavily concentrated, then you're knowing you're on the right side of the trade. You can sometimes, if, if your listeners are doing sports, it's a little bit like, you know, you hit a tennis ball perfectly fine. You hit, hit with your golf club perfectly fine. And metaphorically speaking, it's, it's just everything is just in the flow <laughs> on, on the company side. And that's also the same feeling we have. We don't worry any single second about Stephen at our team is doing the right job operationally or it, when it comes to negotiating a takeover. We, we just know he's he's among the the one percent of the top one percent he, he's better than all of us in doing that and uh, so why not trust this person all of your money or a lot of your money right yeah that's interesting and talk about just the percentages when you guys talk about your concentration you mentioned that you have some non-core positions as well are we talking 10 percent 15 percent 20 percent positions uh maybe just speak to that and, and i'm talking from a standpoint of cost basis entry not what they might represent today in your portfolio 
Yeah, I mean, to, to cut it really simple, we internally always like to phrase the, the Pareto law, the 80-20 rule. So you could say it's it's two core holdings that cover 80%, so two times 40, and then maximum maximum three to four exploration high-risk stuff that covers uh, 20% of the portfolio. At any single position, you guys are probably comfortable up to around 40% then. Yes. Interesting. And, e and, and, even, and even more in the past. <laughs> We cut down a little bit now, but uh, I think we're still uh, pretty much uh, heavily concentrated compared to the average out there. And then nowadays we even feel comfortable enough to put some leverage on them to profit even more from the upside. And uh, right. that obviously means an even higher concentration. So talk about that too. I mean, you guys, it hasn't been all, maybe it has been. I don't suspect it's been 100% perfect. Have you guys had some tough times? Have you guys experienced a couple investments that maybe didn't work out? Can you maybe just talk about, you know, maybe some areas where you guys have learned some lessons or maybe didn't do it right? Mm. Yeah, what we what we also see is, this is interesting, um, that when you have a winner, you should let it run. And most people, they try to sell it after they made 100%. And uh, we also had losers um, at the very beginning, but what we did very quickly is we sold down or we sold them completely. So I remember in 2014, we, uh, like I said, invested in these fallen angels like Allied Nevada or Sand Gold. But then we realized, okay, these guys, they don't get the job done. So we sold out completely, took the loss back then of 40, 40 or 50% and reinvested in, into something else. But what most people do is they sell their winners when they made 100%. And they keep on holding to to the losers and then write it down completely. And I think that's you cut your losers quickly, but you let your winners run. And this is this is also something or an important lesson people should always keep keep in mind and, and apply. What about the other side of that? When you guys take an investment, it's a good management mm -hmm. team, the mm -hmm. boxes check, everything is good, but the stock maybe declines and you guys disagree with what the market thinks. You know, how do you guys treat that when everything is aligned and right with the company? Do you yeah. guys uh, take the advantage of further discount in shares to participate more and add to your position? How do you guys approach that when you know that the the overall end of the story is correct, but maybe in the short term the market sentiment and the price is not aligning with your view? And personally, if it happens in the in the short term, I'm actually happy happy about it because it really means you can add more, you can steal more value from from the crowd and the herd out there. So I personally like it, and whenever the cash balance allows, we we add to our positions there. On the mental side, it's really having a disconnection between price, which fluctuates way more than value. Just don't look at it. Shut down the laptop and just think think about the company. What is the company doing operationally and its management? Do you like it? Yes or no? If you like it and you have confidence, then you go and buy more. Fully agreed. And how about the cash side? You know, as far as you guys go here, are you guys 100% invested most of the time? I guess a good example, again, I'd like to go back to is, you know, COVID March mm. 2020, everybody taking mm. money out of the market, uh, air gap in, in a lot of these stocks, even though the stories are intact and everything's fine. At that point, do you guys look to bring in new investors with new cash? How do you guys allocate during a time when the value gets absolutely stupid and of course you want to add a lot to your position? Yeah, last year yeah. we uh, remained invested when, when that happened, 100%, uh, didn't sell anything and um, we're using funds to, to, to buy even more, as Peter said. Um, 
because th these are outstanding opportunities. And um, what is also interesting now, um, this is what we experienced since last year, is disconnects between price and value. They tend to be shorter term. In the past, you could, should have waited or could have waited a year to, to get from, from this mispricing to the correct value. Now, if there's a disconnect, okay, it happens, but then the market reacts very quickly and pulls price back up. So um, you, you, you get rewarded in, instantly. And um, yeah, whenever, whenever new cash is available and these opportunities come, we, we are taking advantage of it. It's, you know, like Peter said, it's, you have to have this, to be in this sector, you have to be contrarian. And uh, this is where you get most, most rewarded. And no one believes in it. You, you have to stay on the trade and uh, buy even more if you have the resources. Peter, thoughts on your guys' typical preference for size of the company? Do you mm. guys like to stay with stuff that's $250 million or less, $500? Uh, where's kind of that area you guys like to look for as far as that type of size? And then also, yeah. maybe just speak to the performance. Yeah. Um, I mean, market cap-wise, we feel most comfortable in, in playing between 250 million, 200 million to to a billion. I think that's that's where you get the, the greatest returns for our investment style. And uh, adding to your previous questions, really quick, and uh, it's another recommendation to listeners: if you get additional cash and you want to invest it, don't play around with five cents up, ten cents down, trying to chase the price, getting getting in at certain limits. It, this is all. This is all too small scale thinking. You really want to think big. You know, when you when you sell an investment at 25 bucks, it doesn't really matter if you bought it 4.95 or at 5.10 or at 5.15. And it, it once again comes back to um, detaching yourself a little bit from from the stock price too much. You know, the markets at the end of the day are an ego destroying machine, and you want to turn off your ego and make yourself once again aware. It doesn't matter if you buy it 4.90, 5.10, five bucks. Just get in and then enjoy enjoy the ride up. Just for a moment, uh, Andreas, maybe you can handle this one here. How you guys look at uh, using private placements to get into some of these investments? Obviously, you guys are, are getting into some of these pre-IPO. Uh, talk about on-market buying. Is it really specific to each investment? And then also, can you just cover your guys' fund performance here and give the audience a flavor for your performance? Yeah, yeah. No, private placements are a fantastic tool to uh, to <laughs> profit even more from from this sector because uh, you usually get the discount to the current market price, and you also get the warrant, which in a rising market is is just a performance booster. In the case of uh, Artemis, we got involved in the IPO, and um, that was a straight equity plus a warrant. And um, as Peter said, the share price went from a dollar to six with the warrant. You not only yeah, had your investment go sixfold, but it went twelvefold, and this is this is the power of of private placements, the power of warrants, and um, nothing nothing can beat that. So if there is a private placement available on the company, and um, if we have the contact, have met the CEO, then we we always get involved through the private placement. The company is not doing a financing, and we still like the story. Like in the case of Aya, we buy it in the open market and um, have the flexibility, but the private placements, especially in the rising market, especially since since last year, are uh, yeah, super, super powerful, and uh, everyone that can do it, should do it, can just um, make complete difference to a performance instead of buying it purely on the open market. Like I said, performance has been really impressive. 
despite the down market, and we all know it being in the sector since 2012, 2013, um, we had an average return per year of uh, over 50% um, by concentrating, like I said, first focusing on the producers, these fallen angels, then um, the new upcoming stories, development stories like the Artemis, and now the IRS. And um, we expect that to continue and even to be uh, to be better because um, gold and silver prices will really skyrocket. We haven't seen anything yet. And um, the reason we got in the sector was because we believed in way, way higher gold and silver prices. And when these are coming, the whole sector will be revalued. It's still a really tiny fraction of the total global equity markets. Institutional investors aren't really involved yet. And uh, when this money is flowing in, you will see a complete re-rating. And um, with that, the, the whole, whole, whole junior mining space. Come back and talk about that for just a sec, the price for gold and silver. I mean, you guys got to see, as I, gold and silver, uh, you know, silver at 49, 2011, yep. if I have my yep. time frame right, gold yep. at 1900 plus. We've seen, we've gone through the bear market time. What do you guys see as a reasonable expectation? Because in the past, if you look at, you know, past cycles for gold and silver, you know, they've always doubled their prior high. And so yep. do you guys think that, you know, silver a little lower, under 100 and the gold um, under 4,000 makes sense uh, over the next, you know, three to five years? Uh, what do you guys really see for price? I mean, you guys have to have some idea of where you think the price can go in the long term here. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, we think the price targets you mentioned, they are absolutely realistic. Uh, we would be disappointed if we, if we don't see these price targets. And for us, it's, it's, pretty, much, it's pretty much a no-brainer. Um, we're extremely optimistic on gold, even more so on silver. That's why we got positioned as we described. And um, it's, it's almost like the, we, we're actually basing some of our company valuations on those future high prices. And we think, okay, what are these companies worth if physical prices are going there? And I think that's the attitude you have to have going into the space. We're not investing for 50%. We're not investing for 80 or even 100%. You have to have investments that have unlimited upside. Otherwise, you are not getting, getting, getting the returns we are having so far. Yeah, I think that that's a good way to look at it. You know, there's no reason to be in this sector if you're looking for just those types of small returns. What about wealth protection here, guys? Because you guys have to have a view on this too. Mm. When you guys aren't investing in the market, what do you guys do for wealth protection? Do you have any view on the physical holding of gold and silver? How does that fit into your wealth protection strategy? Do you have any thought on uh, Bitcoin as something that is uh, even comparable to gold and silver? Um, you know, how do you guys look at wealth protection when you take profits and you're you're seeking to uh, store some of that outside of cash? Yeah, a physical is is the ultimate insurance. This is as a cash cash replacement and um we we like that both gold and and silver and um to get to, so we always differentiate between okay safety which is the physical and then the performance which is coming from the miners and uh here again you can apply Pareto's law and they say okay 80 20 20 percent extremely safe in physical and then the other 80 percent you can you can play with in in in, in the miners and um that's that's how we do it and um, it ultimately comes down to the uh, to the risk appetite of the investor. Physical, we love physical, we love gold. I think it's the ultimate protection. People will rush into this sector, even even mainstream. 
Yeah, absolutely agreed here. Big advocate of that as well. In this day and age, Bitcoin has to become part of that conversation. I have my views on it, but do you guys have any view on Bitcoin here from a wealth protection standpoint? The other day, we've seen a chart that is overlaying the Tesla stock to to the Bitcoin price, and that went pretty much heavily correlated and in in in, in the same direction. So that is that is telling you something. But um, B, no, we don't really have an educated opinion and we are very happy if, if a lot of other people are making a lot of money. Your investment also has to fit your personality in a certain way and it's never really got, got the ocean, ocean, ocean boiling, as they say. Um, so not invested in it, but uh, watching it from the sidelines. One additional note here on the, on the cryptocurrencies. I think what we've seen in them since um, they, they, they got started is... Uh, an example of what, what will happen in the, in the gold and silver space. The story is the same. You have limited supply and um, you have increasing amount of, of money that gets into the system. So the value of that restricted good has to go up. And um, we think gold and silver being the ultimate form of money for thousands of years should even trade higher and should trade it yeah, even, even, even a premium. For people who miss the Bitcoin move, they, they will get rewarded in the, in the gold and silver price move that is to come. So uh, nothing yeah. to, uh, to worry about. Yeah, I think they have their place, all of them. Is Bitcoin something that's long-term proven? The answer to that is absolutely no. You know, there's a lot of question marks with technology and, and how that evolves. Uh, but there's not many question marks with uh, things you dig out of the ground. And the bottom line of it is, guys, and you guys know this really well, as do I, Everything we do is mined, and that includes yeah. even growing things. And if you yeah. grow things, there's a good chance that the products you're using to grow those things are mined. <laughs> the lack of remembrance of where this really all comes from. And I want to ask you guys this too, with the tech sector moves, do you see that this market is a market where everything eventually comes down together? Or do you see a more of a separation like 2001, where tech stocks, the air starts to move out of tech stocks and the air starts on commodities like we saw in 2001. How do you guys see that taking place? Is there a rotation here? Do you think there's a rotation or do you think when this market comes down, everything goes with it, uh, irrespective of the sector? What's your thoughts? Well, people are more awake and they're now realizing what the value is. And um, we expect something similar like in 2001. And also like in the, in the 30s and in the 70s, you could always see, okay, when the steam got out of the mainstream markets or now the tech, tech stocks, then the, uh, the resource stocks, the commodities started to move. And I think that's going to happen here as well. And this time even, even more because everything um, yeah, m moves in, 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 in certain ways. The tech sector, the, this bubble has been blown up and now it has to reverse and um, the, the commodity markets will have a fantastic rally and we'll see uh, really what we've seen in other sectors ha happen in, in, in our sector now. And uh, we can really look, look forward to this. So uh, no, we don't think that uh, when, when the mainstream markets or tech markets go down, the, uh, the commodity market doesn't go down with it. In, instead, it will, it, will, it will go up. I think this is an interesting time to be placed in these sectors, uh, yeah. both from the base metals, the precious metals, and even energy. There's a lot of things to... Uh, to look at here and i think it's really just pinning down what the best performance profiles are and i think gold and silver are two of those really fantastic performance profiles and you know there's a few others but it's a matter of selecting the best performance profiles given our time and research in the uranium sector we also believe that uranium will compete with the likes of silver 
as far as total performance. How about your guys' uh, fund here? Let's talk a little bit more details. Can you maybe just explain the structure of your guys' fund, the size of it, if you can share just a ballpark size, and then maybe just some of the requirements. If you guys are open to new investors, you know, there's probably a few in the audience that would like to hear your guys' structure and, you know, how they might be able to get involved. What people can do is they can they can join us. Um, we as as we said we started out investing for ourselves, then expanded to, uh, to friends and family, and now uh, got got some outside people in uh, in in Europe involved as well, that are investing together with us. And uh, yeah, we're happy to take take on new investors. Um, they can basically then just copy what we are doing with with our investments. Uh, we can get them into uh, the private placements or recommend them the uh, the stocks to buy on the open market yeah we are looking for accredited investors obviously ticket size is starting at uh, 100k yeah happy to take them on and um, guide, guide them through through the next next years in in this in the sector based based on the experience we have and uh, based on the uh, the results we we generated by by investing our own money and um, meeting these CEOs and Knowing them personally, I think, is a tremendous um, yeah, differentiator to a, to a lot of other fund managers out there. Um, mm. To have invested our own money and to have met these CEOs personally in in Canada yeah. and in Australia, sitting down with them face to face, okay, reading their face, seeing their body language, okay, uh, is this guy honest? Is this guy telling me something? Can I trust him my money? I think this is a great differentiator and um, has treated us extremely well. But um, yeah, it's just confirming what when it always comes down to it's it's about the people, you know. In in, in everything you do, you want to deal with mm -hmm. with honest and yeah straight people who get things done. And the people we mentioned or the CEOs we mentioned, they are definitely uh, fulfilling these criteria. And I think that's why we made money with them. Just adding one more point, uh, investors stay in full control of their own money. So we actually just manage our own funds and money internally, um, basically our own fund. And then when investors are, want to invest with us, they stay in full control of their own money. We just advise them and helping them to invest the way we do at the end of the day, helping them to yeah, become better investors and making money. Peter, talk about the size if you can. Just give us a ballpark. You don't have to give us, you know, actual numbers, but talk about maybe the size of the fund. I suspect you guys have some type of a fee. What's the details on that? As of the fund, um, yeah, definitely uh, seven-digit figures these days. Quite proud to say that. And when it comes to fees, there are no fees for the investors. We just enjoy doing what we're doing, helping to make 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 investors money. And then when it comes to placements. Um, we channel funds into our favorite companies through private placements and obviously there is the classical uh, finder's fee that we get from the companies but the investors the investor is not getting charged anything i think that starts to show some alignment with what you guys are doing uh, with your investors and not having a fee associated is certainly a good thing here um, yeah. so what else can they do as far as investors uh, i know you guys have some some articles on your yep. website. Is there a mailing list for folks just to follow you guys initially mm -hmm. and then maybe start a conversation? Uh, you know, how can they reach out to you guys and can they sign up on your website? How does that work? Yeah, a, a what can what people can do, they can send us an email to pp at german-mining.com, send us their phone numbers. We always like to talk to people, get them on the phone, or if possible, even meet them personally. Nothing, nothing is better than, than a personal meeting. And um, then we will send them our selected private placements every once in a while 
and then obviously they can also check our website can check our blog but as you already noted we stay a bit under the radar there and only publish things occasionally we don't think there are things to talk about every other week so if we put out things we want it to be of very high quality so therefore maybe one article a month and if investors want to talk with us in the meantime they can always send us an email to pp at german-mining.com that's great and i certainly agree with that less is more uh, when it comes to these types of things uh, so on that on that email list, uh, there's no cost for that, and to to connect with you guys, getting that set up, and then occasionally getting a private placement recommendation from you guys, there is no cost for that. Is that correct? That's exactly right. There's only minimum investment amounts of 25k, 25,000 Canadian dollars, but um, that's it. Low low entry barriers. <laughs> well, look, I want to give a quick shout out to one of our longtime members, uh, Chris P setting up this uh, discussion. I, I really appreciate him mm -hmm. taking care of that and getting that set up. Gentlemen, it's really been good to chat about the sector. Thanks for the introduction here. And again, thanks for sharing some of your wisdom with our audience today. Stay well, and we'll do it again sometime. Yes, absolutely. Oh, thank you, Andrew. It's been a pleasure. And uh, yeah, looking forward to the next month in, in our sector. All the best to you and your readers.